I'm Stacey Lindis from Podcast PD, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. We're not in the technology business doing education. We're in the education business doing technology. And that's, that's the lens that you're taking to it. And I think that's a lens that educators should take to it as well. Welcome back for another episode of the Leader of Learning podcast. This is where educators can come to find inspiration to transform education through effective leadership. I'm your host, Dan Krinas. Let's get started. Hey, Leader of Learning. Welcome to episode 86. You know, no matter what school looks like for you right now, You might be in completely virtual and remote learning. You might be in a hybrid model. You might even be back full time. But there's no doubt that educational technology and instructional technology tools have probably become a much bigger part of your life or the lives of other teachers around you and at your school. Because let's face it, right now, so much of our learning has turned virtual and has turned to tools to help make our teaching and learning better and more effective and more efficient for students and teachers in these current learning situations that we find ourselves in. My guest this week is Jake Miller of the Educational Duct Tape Podcast and EduGifts and all of the great educational technology things that he does out there. He's an amazing ed tech expert. He's back in the classroom full time and of course, He hits the circuit hard when it comes to speaking and presenting around the country about educational technology topics and issues, and he has what he calls the four MVPs of EdTech right now. I can't wait for you to listen and find out what those four MVPs are. So here's my interview with Jake Miller. Excited to welcome on the guest in this episode, Jake Miller, uh, who I have to say, even though we're on the same podcast network, it's not the reason I'm saying this. I am a very big fan of the Educational Duct Tape podcast and uh, and a fan of your work in general. Uh, really glad to have you on here, Jake. So welcome. And uh, if you could introduce yourself, that'd be great. Thanks. Yeah, and I'm a big fan of Leader of Learning as well. And we, we get to share some space on the Education Podcast Network uh, page for both of our shows. Uh, but as you said, I'm the host of the Educational Duct Tape Podcast, which is a podcast that focuses on ed tech. Uh, and I'd say ed tech is kind of my passion. Education is my job and ed tech is my passion. I just geek out about educational technology. Uh, I'm based out of Ohio. I'm currently teaching eighth grade science. Uh, so in the last four years or five years previous to that as a technology integration specialist. But it's kind of fun being, well, it's, not, it's virtual right now. Actually, by the time this airs, we'll be hybrid. Um, but it's kind of fun taking all the things that I've been, you know, s- trying to sell other teachers on for years and now putting them back in practice in my own classroom, my virtual classroom and my real classroom. Yeah, I've been in that position before. I was an instructional coach at a school for about three years. So I uh, I shifted, you know, from being a, a classroom teacher to out of the classroom for a few years. And then the position, unfortunately, was cut due to some uh, budgeting and shifting around of some some grant funding. And I was put back in the classroom. And, and that was really the thing that I looked forward to the most. I said, you know what? At, at the, I was upset. You know, to be honest, I was upset about having to go back in the classroom. Um, but at the very least, I got the opportunity to try for myself the things that I was coaching everyone else on for the for the past three years before that. And 
um, especially in the technology world, it, it really allowed me the opportunity to, to just do it with my own classroom and my own students. It was really cool. Yeah. L last time I was in, full time in the classroom, a lot of the tools that I use now either didn't exist or were just kind of a, a twinkle in the creator's eye, you know, like th things like Flipgrid and Pear Deck and things like that. They weren't around. Either they were just starting out when I was last full time in the classroom. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember um, like Nearpod is, is one that I use quite a bit and, and they had made a lot of improvements and adjustments between when I was in the classroom, you know, and then I, I took a break for a few years and came back and uh, it was great to be able to come back around and use like much more of a full featured right. product. I did, I guess I did want to ask you though, um, I know you said that we are recording a couple weeks out and, and by the time this releases, you might be in a hybrid model. How's the virtual going though? It is uh, the hardest work I've ever done, to be honest with you. It's I, I end my day completely and totally drained and taxed. It is the, it's the hardest work I've done. Uh, at our particular school, we have a, uh, a plan where we have uh, hours worth of daily live Zoom calls with our students, uh, which is just it's just spending a lot of time sitting in front of the webcam is really taxing. Um, I, the thing I'm glad about is that I, I feel like despite the fact that we're virtual, I have really good rapport with our, my students because I have all these live opportunities and because I've really put that at the forefront of what I'm doing. So I feel like it's not the rapport I'd have in person, but I'm feeling pretty proud of the rapport that I've been able to build with them. Uh, but yeah, it's it's really hard work being fully virtual with lots of Zoom calls in there. Um, I, I'm sure the grass is always greener, as they say, um, but I, I kind of pine for the opportunity to teach more asynchronously virtual um, because I, I, I geek out about the designing of uh, curriculum activities and I don't get as much time to craft that because everything's live, you know, where, whereas if I could be creating more asynchronous hyperdocs and things like that, I think I'd be more excited about that. But I don't know, grass is always greener. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's interesting you say that. I'm wondering when you do go to a hybrid model, will you still have opportunities for that asynchronous learning for students who are at home or will you do a lot of like what a lot of schools near me and, and my district do, which is having kids who are at home use a web conferencing tool of, of someone's choosing, whether it's the teacher or the school, and, and join synchronously. Yeah, that's what we're doing. So I will be live teaching uh, you know, eight kids or 12 kids or whatever the number is in my room and live teaching eight to 12 at home at the same time, which is going to be a, a special kind of struggle bus, I, I foresee. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned like the grass isn't always greener. I don't know. We're, we're definitely struggling with that. Now, I'm wondering if we were given the opportunity to be virtual first, like you are, if maybe that would have made it a little bit easier, because I think one of the hardest things has been teachers and especially student at home students, you know, our students come in to the, the students who are in the hybrid model and haven't chosen and opted to stay home full time. They only come into school two days at a time. And when they're not in school, and of course the kids who are fully, you know, full time remote, Teachers are definitely having a hard time engaging them and getting them to be on and stay on for the amount of time that they're supposed to be. Um, you know, basically the schedule is the schedule. And whether you're in school or you're not, you're in that class when you're supposed to be or else. And um, I, I guess I wonder if we were virtual first, if that would have helped at least a little bit. Yeah, maybe it certainly builds, um, 
you know the system for for how we go about doing things right and and builds in those expectations and now i know our students are really eager to be in person even though they'll be masked up and six feet away from each other and walking one way down halls and all kinds of crazy stuff like that crazy good crazy because you know good because it's what we have to do but still crazy to think about having to do it um and they are eager to be back in person so i guess maybe uh maybe that's kind of the the, the silver lining there is that this is going to go better because the kids see it as a uh, upgrade, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's worked well and I have been really glad and, and grateful to be back in person, at least for the staff and, uh, some of our students. Now I wanted to get back to, I don't want, I don't want you to think that I glossed over this because I think it's a really important point. You mentioned that one of the bright spots, uh, has been your ability to connect with and build rapport and relationships with your students, albeit virtually. And I think that in, in hybrid models and in schools like mine, and yes, I am speaking from personal experience here a little bit. Um, it's been very difficult for teachers to build those relationships with the students who are not in front of them. And schools like yours, so far, none of the students have been in front of you. And, and I guess I just wanted to ask you maybe for advice or, or just anything that you thought may have helped you specifically in that virtual environment to be able to build rapport with students. And especially if it's been different from the way that you've done it in person, you know, in the past before all the guidelines and the, and the precautions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely been different because I feel like one, like in, in the classroom in person, like pre-February of 2020, uh, the way that I tended to build rapport was more in one-on-one or small group conversations with students, maybe as they're entering the classroom or leaving the classroom or during some uh, time where kids are all working at their own pace and I can just chat with kids. And there's not as many opportunities for that now. So I feel like that's less of what I'm doing is that kind of one-on-one stuff like that. Uh, instead, what I'm doing, and I, I think my even though I'm not saying it vocally to my students, I think they feel it and see it is that I'm making the time to just talk with them and have fun with them and play like little games with them and stuff like that. I'm making that a priority. Uh, and I'm showing that that is more important to me than my curriculum. Hopefully my, uh, my administrators aren't listening too carefully here, <laughs> but uh, I think the kids feel that and sense that. Right. So I try to do things in every one of our live lessons that shows that that comes first on my on my agenda is making sure I'm connecting with them. So whether it's just something simple like asking them to type in the chat something they're looking forward to about the weekend um, or a highlight from the previous weekend. Um, or something slightly more leveled up that's a little more complex. Like anytime I use Pear Deck, um, we'll do a, a thing, and this would work in Nearpod or AnswerPad or any of the, the similar tools too, where I will draw. I think I got this idea from Amanda Sandoval, I think is who I first heard it from. Um, I'll just draw like a squiggle on the screen and then they will complete the squiggle with a drawing and then we'll spend time as a class looking at the drawings and laughing at what they drew and trying to guess who who drew what and what they were trying to draw and picking our favorites and it might take up 10 minutes of class but i i feel like that's 10 minutes of rapport built that's leverageable for me you know when that when one student struggles on a test and i go back to them with some feedback i i have a, a baseline of rapport that I could work off of there or when a student forgets to do the work or um, whatever, whatever's going on, I have that rapport that I could utilize and leverage in that, that situation. And so it supports me as a teacher, but also for them, like I just want them to be okay. Like I, I worry about how my kiddos are feeling right now in this current situation. So it really is a priority to me to, you know, to make sure we're having some fun in the room. Well, that's great. And, and I think that is good advice for teachers out there to think that, uh, you know, it's not as important right now, maybe to bombard students with curriculum as, as it is 
that that teachers shouldn't feel like they're being bombarded with curriculum as well at this point. We're still only about two months in to the school year by the time this episode releases, and uh, we're, we're very early on in something that no one has ever experienced before. You know, heading into this school year, I kept saying that I, I thought the biggest positive to all of this, regardless really of what model a school was using, is is the opportunity to really personalize and differentiate learning for students in, in ways that we've never really thought about before. And, and I still hold true to that belief. I, I'm, I'm hoping to see it even more as we continue in, in these models. But um, I think that's a great start, you know, what you were talking about, where it's like, look, you have to get to know the students as, as, as people, as learners. Um, you know, I had a discussion with a teacher at, at school when I was kind of doing my coaching thing the other day, and uh, we use a reading program. And I said, it's not so much about the program or even the data that it generates. It's about just understanding your students in terms of who are they as readers? You know, otherwise, I'm afraid that that teachers just wouldn't know what students are capable of and, and what kind of skills they possess or not. You know, so I really think that's uh, that's a great first step. I, I appreciate that advice. I did want to shift gears, though, uh, to the real reason I have you on, which is to talk about ed tech. And, um, you know, at this point, safe to say uh, you can't do virtual at all and and very tough to do hybrid even with no educational technology and instructional technology to uh, to lean on. I know you have these four MVPs, so I guess that's where I wanted to start. What, what are the what are the big tools and, and the platforms and programs that that you go to first for your instruction in terms of the virtual learning and even when you go hybrid yeah so i so as last spring kind of ended as the school year wrapped up uh, i kind of reflect on what i saw happening in classrooms and in schools and uh, I, I felt like everybody was in survival mode you know and then i thought okay now we could think you know really think about what we're going to do next year because this looks like it's gonna be part of our uh, at least the short-term future uh, and so i thought about what are the things that are best for educators and so I thought about it from the same perspective. I take a lot of things, which is which is what I uh, my podcast is built around, which is the idea that educational technologies are best when we're seeing them as a tool, not when we're seeing them as the focus or the goal. And that's where the duct tape comes in educational duct tape, right? It's a tool that we use to solve problems. We're not just using duct tape. It's a tool. So I thought, about, okay, so what are the problems? What are the goals that we have as educators, uh, especially now if we're remote learning, but also just any time that we're teaching students? And I came up with a list about 15 goals. Uh, anywhere from giving students feedback to uh, engaging instruction to uh, getting feedback from the students to connections with the, with the, the families to differentiation. Uh, and as I went through these goals, I said, okay, now I got these 15 goals that are my goals. What, what tools help me knock off a lot of these goals? Because there are tools that help me hit hit a few of them here and there. But I said, what are kind of my high yield technology tools that I could say as a teacher, I could use this tool just this, just that, and be in really good shape. And so the tools that I found were uh, Flipgrid, which one of my very favorite tools. Um, and it, it, it literally hits 13 of my 15 goals really, really well. And actually, uh, I'm going to stop you there for a second, and yeah. I'll get to the, the next three. But I want to stop on Flipgrid for a second, because actually tomorrow, coincidentally, um, my school has a professional development day, full day PD. And uh, the administration, to their credit, in my opinion, did the right thing where they said, you know, at this point, there are teachers who are 
doing well in terms of their ability to engage students in a hybrid model. And there are other teachers who are a little bit slower on the uptake and that's fine. You know, again, that's the differentiation piece. Um, but they're, they're having some of us who are a little more adept with technology and doing it a little bit better, uh, lead professional development. And Flipgrid was the tool that I chose for the sheer fact that I think the shorts Flipgrid shorts camera is the, is the tool for our teachers to use to create really great instructional videos. You know, if you want to have a mini lesson, have some direct instruction where you're, uh, especially in that asynchronous model, creating a video for your students. I love when teachers use Flipgrid because you can share your screen if you want. You can have a whiteboard. Uh, you can mess around with the, all the filters and things too. It's a lot of fun. Um, so th- that's what I'm going to present on actually tomorrow. So I really like Flipgrid for, like you said, it, all the things that it does, but especially that aspect of it. Yeah, well, it's probably the most flexible educational technology tool that we have, especially now that they added in that Flipgrid shorts camera so that not only can we use it to hear from our students, but when I just need to send a message to parents or I need to, um, you know, introduce a topic to my students or uh, help them with, you know, give them some feedback and some support on something they're having problems with, with their with their uh, asynchronous work, like I could just really quickly record a video in there and send it out there. So it, it could do almost all of the things you need to do. And that's why that's, yeah. that's that first of those MVPs. My goal, yeah. My goal actually, I don't think I'll have enough time in this session tomorrow. It's only half an hour, but my goal is actually to get teachers like an app smash to get teachers to use Flipgrid shorts camera to record a, a brief video and then put it into uh, Nearpod and, and have the Nearpod video feature be able to splice it up and embed questions and, and you know, basically use it as a more interactive uh, assessment type of a tool for students as well. But I don't think, like I said, I don't think we'll have time for that yet. Yeah, half an hour. There'll be, be a time crunch there. <laughs> right. So, uh, so number one of the four MVPs, I, I listen to a, a sports talk show sometimes here in uh, the New York area, and they always talk about like the Mount Rushmore of you know sports figures. Yeah, this is like the yeah. Mount Rushmore of of Absolutely. ed tech. So, number one is Flipgrid. What are the other ones? Uh, so, so a screencasting tool, whatever screencasting tool you choose. Um, most educators choose between Screencastify and Loom. I think they're both great tools. Uh, some educators choose Screencastomatic, which I like a lot because it has uh, some closed caption and capabilities in it. Uh, and some educators choose, as you alluded to, using just like Flipgrid shorts and and recording their screen in there, but having some way to create some kind of videos that you're, what, you know, it's different kinds of videos depending on what you're teaching, uh, but a tool that you create those videos with. So that's the second one is whatever screencasting tool you choose. Uh, the third is Edpuzzle. I think if you're using video in, in uh, asynchronous remote learning and you're not using Edpuzzle, number one, to make sure your kids are watching it. Number two, to form formatively assess them as they're watching it. And number three, you know, to use that formative assessment to support the kids. I think if you're not using Edpuzzle for that stuff, you're crazy. Uh, and then the last Let me ask one you a question there. there Sorry, go. I'll get to the last one, too. I hate to keep cutting you off. No, you're um, good. Just, cur- just curious, as you're talking about Edpuzzle, I, I love Edpuzzle, too. Um, but I'm also a big Nearpod guy. Mm-hmm. And I know on, on your show and in general, you've kind of done that research into like comparing Nearpod and Pear Deck. And they're pretty similar. What about Nearpod video versus Edpuzzle? 
Yeah, it's it's pretty close to as good. It's one of those situations where, you know, just like we were saying with the screencasting, like if you're becoming if you're a teacher who maybe isn't super comfortable using lots of technologies and you've learned to use Flipgrid to gather student responses, maybe just use that for your screencasting too. You know, like don't don't learn screencast by Loom, just use use Flipgrid for that. And so I think the same is true here. If you're using Nearpod to deliver lessons and do some formative assessments and then you need to do similar stuff with videos, maybe just use Nearpod for that too. I think Ed Puzzle is slightly better at the video part and, and getting some data out of video. But I think that what makes Nearpod better is that they could build that video in with other content too mm. that's not related back to the video, right? And like I said, if you've learned to use one tool and that other tool can do you know, 95% of what Edpuzzle can do, then why not do that? So I, I think choosing Nearpod in that situation is a good choice too. Okay. So number one, Flipgrid. Number two is screencast of your choice, which actually I got to be honest, I'm getting to be a, a much bigger fan than I ever was before, only because I never really knew how to use it of WeVideo. Yeah. Uh, oh, and, yeah. and even for screencasting, love WeVideo. Uh, so that was number two is screencasting tool. Number three, Edpuzzle, or maybe if you're comfortable using Nearpod for that, that video um, that the interactive video, you know, embedding questions and using it as formative assessment. And then number four, number four is Pear Deck or Nearpod. We've mentioned them both. Uh, and some, some teachers use the answer pad and a couple other different tools out there, uh, as well, but Pear Deck and Nearpod are the co a couple of big ones there. What I, the reason I always hit that one fourth is because you could, you could put a Flipgrid prompt into Pear Deck or Nearpod. You could put a Flipgrid short into Pear Deck or Nearpod. You could mm -hmm. record your video with Screencastify or Loom or Screencastomatic or WeVideo and put it into Pear Deck or Nearpod. You can create your Edpuzzle and then put it into Pear Deck or Nearpod. So I kind of like that's kind of like the crown on top because it puts them all together. Um, I've got to say of these four tools, because I'm currently teaching synchronously virtual, Pear Deck is the one I'm using the most. And Nearpod is, I, I love both Pear Deck and Nearpod. I just happen to be at a Pear Deck school right now. Um, and, and so that's one I'm using. But I find that in synchronous uh, work, that one is huge for me using Pear Deck. Cool. I, you know, I'm wondering uh, if, is there a learning management system or Google Classroom or Microsoft Teams or something like that that you would prefer or that you would recommend in terms of, I guess, just, you know, organizing the class, rolling out assignments, keeping your kids engaged, stuff yeah. like that? So I I, uh, I think absolutely you have to have something like that. Uh, the reason that I don't even include that in this list is because normally, in, in my experience, that's not even a teacher's choice, mm -hmm. right? They're, they're, it's dictated to them what to use. Uh, and I think they're all really good. I think, I think it's, it's more about how you use it. Uh, that's, that's, uh, what's important here in that decision. And so I find that educators don't typically have a power to choose which one to use. I currently use uh, Google classroom. Uh, I've used, um, Schoology before and absolutely love Schoology. Um, and some educators will you know, reach out to me and say, Hey, do you recommend Google classroom or Schoology? And it's really, it's almost apples and oranges because one is super slick and easy to use. And one is, relatively easy to use, but does a whole lot more. So it really depends on what you're trying to what you're trying to do. I think you've got to have a tool like that in place. Um, but which tool it is kind of depends on what you're trying to get out of it. And oftentimes, it depends on what your administrator says to use. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, uh, definitely at my school or really in my whole district, um, secondary classrooms use Google Classroom and, and it is what it is. Uh, however, I know that the district is going to be uh, especially toward the end of this school year, shifting from Google or what what are they calling it now? The Google 
Google Workplace, workplace Google yeah. Enterprises, whatever it is, uh, going away from Google and toward Microsoft and Microsoft Teams. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've been kind of starting to make that transition already. But yeah, I mean, I agree. I think whatever you use, you got to have something. Uh, unfortunately, maybe it's not the teacher's choice, but uh, some way of, of keeping things organized. Um, I was also wondering if you said before, and I, I love the advice again about, you know, really building relationships with students before uh, hitting them with any kind of curriculum, regardless of what subject you teach or what level you teach. Um, any other tips, tricks, advice uh, that, that you might be able to give teachers when it comes, specifically when it comes to using the technology? One of the things that that I like to offer up for advice is, you know, still use the technology, like maybe, for example, the, the session I'm, I'm doing tomorrow, you know, use Flipgrid or anything to make an instructional video, but please keep it short, you know, especially in, in uh, virtual settings or even hybrid where you have m- many students who are at home, like they're not going to want to sit through something real long. So keep it short and simple, but as engaging as possible, as yeah. interesting as possible. That, that's always my kind of go-to advice. Anything else? Yeah, and that, that's good advice too. It, like in that situation, I tend to tell educators, think about what you would like if that was you in that situation, right? Think about when your administrator or your college professor or your professional development provider or whoever it might be uh, sends you some kind of content to learn from. Like, do you want it to be a 22 minute long video, right? Do you want to just sit and passively watch it? Do you want it to be scheduled at a certain time or do you want it to be asynchronous? So, so that's my first piece of advice is think about what you would prefer as a learner, even as a professional, what you would prefer. Um, another thing too is with with talking about hearing from your students and creating that rapport. Um, I think the first person I heard really emphasized this point was uh, Stacey Roshan when she was on my podcast, but she said she, I think Mike Mohammed also iterated the same idea. When they ask for um, some kind of response from kids, they show the kids that they're listening to what the kids are saying, right? Sometimes it's okay, like a writing teacher would say that you don't have to grade everything they write, right? And that's true. Like, like we drive ourselves crazy if we try to do stuff like that. But if you're going to do a Pear Deck in class, or if you're going to do a Flipgrid in class, you've got to focus on at some point in time, you know, showing the kids that, hey, you're receiving that message on the other side. So they see that you're valuing what they're sharing with you. And maybe, maybe you don't watch all the videos, you know, maybe you don't respond to all the Pear Decks, but they should all be seeing that you're listening to and hearing what they're saying to you and you're connecting back with them on it. That's a great point. Yeah, that I appreciate that. You know, I think, like you said, it's, it's tough, especially in these times where, where teachers are feel like and and quite literally are doing so much um you know even simple things like just taking a moment to let someone know that you heard them you mm-hmm. know or or you saw their video or you just that you received it mm-hmm. uh you know i think can can really go a long way um we are going to start to wrap up here i really appreciate your time and and i love talking about this stuff you know i try not to do too much ed tech to be honest on on the show but it is so crucial right now mm-hmm. and you know my I'm an instructional coach, which I know sometimes tech coaches are called all sorts of things. I'm not really a tech coach, but of course, in these times right now, I feel like that's so much of what I'm doing. And and I guess in a way, I'm finally being able to have the opportunity to use technology in my instructional coaching in ways that I've been trying to do for years. So in, in that regard, it's been somewhat beneficial for me. But uh, I, I do I do really enjoy ed tech and I love talking about it. So I appreciate you coming on and, um, you know, especially that you shared that piece about 
what makes educational duct tape what it is, which is like we're, we're using the tools. You know, it's not yeah. that the technology is not everything, uh, but it's just something to, to get you to where you need to be and, and more importantly, get your students to be where they need to be. Yeah. And it kind of comes back to what you, what you're in as your, as your situation as an instructional coach, where your focus is on the student learning and the pedagogy and the curriculum and things like that. And you're really leveraging the technologies as tools. And I think that's the really good thing about a person in your shoes that is, that likes educational technology and is comfortable with educational technology, but is really coming at their job from a, from a pedagogy angle, uh, because that's, that's the way we should be coming about coming at it. Like we're, we're not, we're not, um, we're not in the technology business doing education. We're in the education business doing technology. And that's that's the lens that you're taking to it. And I think that's a lens that educators should take to it as well. Um, one thing before we wrap up that I want to point out is even though there's a list of four MVPs that we just went over and a couple other things we kind of gave shout outs to as we went, um, you don't have to use all of them. Right. Especially I know you have some listeners who don't come to you to hear from educational technology. So they might be feeling like, whoa, this is a lot of stuff right now. Um, and I want to make sure they know that the one the tools that you should use are the tools that solve a problem or meet a goal for you and your learners. And it doesn't have to be all the tools. And it doesn't have to be the same tool as the teacher in the room next to you either. It just has to be the tools that work for you and your content and your students. Love that. I, I really can't wrap up any better than that. So I'm just going to end it right here and just thank you for your time and ask you to please share any contact information that you could in case listeners do want to reach out to you for more information or any kind of questions or concerns that they might have. Yeah, thanks, Dan. So my uh, site is jakemiller.net. Uh, you could find out more about the podcast at eduducttape.com. Uh, and you could find me on all of the social medias at jakemillertech. And I'd love to connect. I, I am such, as we said at the beginning, I geek out about education, educational technology. So I really don't mind getting the messages uh, and questions and shares and things like that on social media and things like that. So please do reach out. Excellent. Jake, thanks so much for your time. Yeah, thank you, Dan. Well, that'll do it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't done so yet, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast app. Also, if you enjoy the content shared on the show, please recommend this podcast to other educators, leaders, friends, or anyone you think would love listening and learning. I would also appreciate it if you would leave a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, or whatever podcast app you use to listen. For more information about me or this show, head over to leaderoflearning.com. While you're there, you can also find the Leader of Learning blog, how to connect on social media such as Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Voxer, sign up for our newsletter, and even find out how to purchase Leader of Learning merchandise. Thanks again, and remember, no matter who you are or where you are, you too can be a leader of learning.